Welcome to the Not In Business School Business Leaders Podcast, where business leaders tell their stories and share their insights. All our guests have a personal connection with Not In Business School, so listen, learn, enjoy, and share. Welcome to another episode of the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast with me, Mike Sassy. For the last two years, broadcaster and entrepreneur David Lloyd has been making national headlines after he and his business partner founded Boom Radio. The station, run by baby boomers for baby boomers, has been a raging success with rapidly increasing audiences and profitability. It already has more than 600,000 listeners every week, and that figure is rising. Before Boom, David enjoyed a hugely successful 40-year career across commercial radio, holding uh, senior executive positions with all the big-name national brands, including LBC, Century, Galaxy and Virgin. His leadership credentials are impeccable. So, David Lloyd, welcome to the Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast. Hello, Mike. Good to be here. Good to have you. So, um, I've got to get this, this one out of the way first. To my mind, you're a prolific publisher. I, I feel every day I go online and I read something or I listen to something new that you've that you've that you've published, and it's always detailed, very erudite, and of course, it's in addition to your day job, which is running a national radio station. I think I just work really quickly. I I, I get through stuff really quickly. You know, I'm not saying I don't think about it, clearly I do, but I, I just wait. I, I, sometimes I, I've done something, realise it's not very good, undone it, done it again, quicker than some people have better start on it. So yeah, just getting down to doing stuff. And, and you know, it's, it's a cliche, but, but focusing as well on the things that are going to make a difference in terms of, you know, is this half hour wisely spent I don't make lots of lists I don't do all the things they teach you in all these places about prioritizing everything else I think what I try to work out is what is important because you can so easily get sucked off and work very hard not actually getting anywhere so working out you know, what's going to make a difference and certainly in all that stuff that's publishing for a few years I was a broadcasting consultant I needed a profile to get my gigs, to be invited to conferences, to be invited to help out radio stations. If they don't know what you do, what you think, what your perspective is, they're not going to invite you. So that was my job, and I've sort of carried on doing it because you can't you know, start these things and then stop. Is that something you can teach yourself, or is it something that's just innate? You've always been, um, I would say, prolific. You say quick. <laughs> I think I have. I think being the last of five children, when you're in a large family, if you don't speak quickly and do things quickly and eat quickly, and, and you, you miss out. Actually, I think there's a bit of that in there. Uh, you know, I've just run across from, from uh, Notts TV across town and you say, how quickly did you get here? I ran. <laughs> right. And I, I, I'm going to take off at a tangent already, but I, I uh, read something that said, You've just adopted or started running um, late in your career or in your life, as it were. Yeah, I've never been any good at sport. Well, not I'm, even now. I have no interest in sport whatsoever. But running is it's a bit like the way I work. It's something, the way I work best, something you can do on your own. You can benchmark yourself against others. You know who they are. But you carve out the way you are going to run. You carve out the pace you're going to go at. You carve out how quickly you go at the end. You don't look around. You don't confuse yourself with the strategies of others. You just go for it. And I think there's a lot in that. You know, you could you could write a whole thing, couldn't sure. you, about the similarities between running a great race and winning a business war. All right. Something we should start earlier? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I love it. I did my uh, 5K in 22 minutes. Did a, my first ever half marathon in one hour, 
48, something like that, which Good is not God. bad for a 60-plus-year-old, is it? Uh, in fact, it's exceptional <laughs> for a 60-plus-year-old. I, I, I can confirm that. So you talk, start talking about business there. So come on, tell us about Boom Radio. Where did it start? Where will it end? We, I, I sort of semi-retired consulting and doing bits and pieces, but I had this idea at the back of my mind. And, and uh, you know, we all have these, don't we? The idea of the business that should be done. And then I thought to myself, if anybody else does this, I'm going to be really annoyed. And this was about the prospect of a radio station for older people, people over the age of 55. Because, you know, it's great, isn't it, that there are so many radio stations, so many media operations targeting, you know, younger audiences. But actually, advertisers believe there's no merit, or I'm not overstating the case here, there is a view amongst the advertising fraternity that actually money spent on serving over 55s is money not well spent because the, these are the arguments. They've made up their mind about every brand they're ever going to buy. Um, they are cheap to advertise too because daytime telly, etc. So actually the media is cheap. And the other thing is when you're a 25-year-old media buyer, you think somebody over 55 is about to keel over and die. So for all those reasons... Thank you for that. <laughs> you and me both. But for all those reasons, you know, it's difficult to make a business out of serving 55-year-olds. So, you know, we're aware of that. that. That was the backdrop. That's why it's difficult for a commercial radio station to survive serving over 55s. But the market was opening up because Radio 2 was changing for reasons I quite understand. BBC Local Radio was changing for reasons I don't understand. But it was opening up a market for commercial radio which had not existed. So I thought, hang on, there's a market, there are the customers, and I think now uh, there's an, an economically sensible way of doing it. Now you can broadcast from home, you don't need high overheads. It's a lot cheaper to get, to, you know, the barriers to entry have been severely reduced. So, you know, is there a business in that? And we thought, yes, we created Boom Radio, the radio station for baby boomers, launched February 21. And, you know, one of the fastest growing radio stations, two thirds of a million listeners as I sit here. Uh, we've doubled in the last year. Uh, and, you know, the business is going better than we'd ever imagined. I, I, I looked at the radar, which are the industry official figures for audience, double digit increases every quarter. Yeah. It, so that uh, you started that little little piece there with somebody saying money spent on advertising to over 55s is is money wasted that gives the light to that does it not well one thing is is amassing the audience which we we've done quite successfully and we hope that will continue to grow but the other thing is obviously persuading people to advertise on the channel so that you can survive and like any new business you know you you have the idea don't you you get the cash you need in the bank, and in Boom's case, it was, I don't know, it was 15, 16 shareholders, mostly private individuals like myself, putting some of their own money in. And then you've got all that money promised, and you think, is this really such a good idea? And there's that moment of, are we actually going to press go? Because it could all fail. And then you have that doubting phase. So you this great idea you've had. You think, yeah, but what if it doesn't work? And, and that's a very healthy phase to go through because you start thinking, okay, when, if it doesn't work, what would I look at at that stage? What would I review? If it all went wrong, what would I review? Let's review that now before we get started. So we did that sort of phase and put it on the air. And gradually, you know, the increased audiences have helped. But, you know, inch by inch and through various sources of revenue, we've managed to make it easily a going concern. So that's, uh, you know, this year I can relax a lot more than I could in the first year of business. We know how many businesses collapsed in the first year. We could have been one of them. So it's almost, it's, sorry, it's more than exactly two years, just two years last month, I mm. believe. Um, and 
you're already relaxed in terms of revenues, profitability. Um, are all your 16 other um, uh, shareholders, if you like, um, are they also relaxed? They, they are. You know, shareholder meetings, meetings are a joy. I mean, A, we know a lot of the people involved. People say, what drives you? Clearly, I want to be proud of a radio station and have contributed to British radio and made a difference in that. Um, but I, I want to make sure that the friends who put money in and had faith in me get at least get their money back you know and that that's a real driver in those early days you think I cannot fa-. you could because they're good enough friends and they're long enough in the tooth to know that you know things go wrong and it would have all been fine because we're all grown-ups but it would have been very embarrassing but yeah they are very happy with the, uh, the the progress of the the company but you know never can you rest on your laurels you know we're doing well people are starting to you know have a go and you look at what competitors are doing etc etc and that's that's how business is isn't it so starting a, a, a such a such a potentially um, a, such a potentially difficult business, your stage in your career, how was that? What you mean? I'm in my sixties. Well, you know, this is part of Boom Radio. Is you know we play some great oldies and there's people on air in Asia in their sixties and seventies and this that the other talking to each other like normal human beings, not like old people because we don't feel old we feel still very young and it's funny when I backed out of my last you know proper job with a decent salary etc which was about five or so years ago now uh, you know nobody wants you you get to this sort of age and I thought well this is I think I'm probably sparing my blushes better than I was at any stage of my career because we all look back don't we think oh, I wish I'd done that I wish I'd played that gig differently I look back at every single one I've done and think do you know I do that differently now I'm thinking at the very I would, in you, in, you know you get to this age at the very when you're most capable when you've seen every challenge when you've spoken to I'm going to generalize sort of every sort of person you think, well, why, why am I not? Why am I not? Why am I not got a job? So I think I was actually. I've still got the energy, still happy and healthy. I think I was, you know, very up for this. I don't know what I would have done without it. I could do with it not not being seven days a week, twenty four hours. That is exhausting. It's it's been too much on occasions over the last couple of years. Uh, but hopefully, we're now getting in a position where it's getting a little easier. So let's go right back to the oh, beginning. Dear. Yes. So. As I understand it, this all started as a six-year-old when local radio read out, or perhaps you read out, I'm not quite clear of it, uh, a poem that you had written as a six-year-old. Yeah, the uh, I was a I was a, a kid used to go to I was a kid. That's a surprise. Uh, went to uh, school in Lady Bay in uh, in West Bridford in Nottingham, and uh, we had a reporter from Radio Nottingham come round. And this was these were the very early days of, of Radio Nottingham, uh, so it would have been late late sixties. And she came round with a, a microphone with a, a red pop shield, and she rolled up. and They did a program called the Magic Microphone Club, and they used to go around to schools, little and, and talk to kids and get kids to do their party pieces. Mine was a, a a poem about the Great Fire of London. So I recited this poem uh, into the microphone. It was then on Radio Nottingham in the days when it was on VHF, on FM only. So all the neighbours came round. And that was something I remember. Um, I wouldn't say that was the day I thought I want to be on the radio, but I just knew from about that age that radio was magical. It was the voice that just kept you company that had a, and the fact that it came from somewhere and you could picture them and it came down these wires and, and then through the air you used to listen to the police messages it had this wonderful thing called radio had a magic easily from that age subsequently you've enjoyed a 40 year serious successful career in, in commercial radio what are the high points that you look back upon you look back at 
a lot of challenges in trying to get through them. I, I managed the regional radio station in the East Midlands, which was called at the time Century 106, and that was a, a, a problem and uh, a serious... You know, it, It's always good when you walk through the door as a, as a leader. What's the gig? What, what am I here to do? Uh, and sometimes it's to innovate, sometimes it's to whatever. But the gig there was stop this thing losing money and do something about the audiences. And uh, in the course of the two years I was there, we broke even on my final month there, <laughs> um, which was real progress, and we doubled the audience. So, you know, that was that was something I was actually proud of. Goodness, I can I can talk for hours about all the things I messed up, believe you me. Um, well, funny enough, we're going to come to that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's a longer answer. Uh, going to, uh, I ran Galaxy 105 uh, in Yorkshire. Which, so, so these were these were the these were the this were, these were the heady days of, of yeah, this commercial was in, radio. Yeah, that's right. I mean, the, the century gig I talked about would have been 2000. Uh, sorry, late 90s in the year in the sort of the early 2000s. I was running uh, Galaxy 105, which was the dance music radio station for you know 15 to 24 year olds. And it was the whole of Yorkshire, so a big patch. And we, um, you know, that was a, a very successful radio station. It was the first time I'd ever managed a successful business. Leading a problem business is sort of, sort of easy, isn't it? Just get it a bit better. And everyone's like, leading a successful business, and I hadn't played, I'm coming on to what I've done badly. I, I wasn't used to... Um, going into something that's successful and doing it wisely. And somebody very wise had a word with me about two months in and says, you don't need to do it at your pace. You can sit and think and watch. And that was very wise because he was a, a great business. And, you know, gradually I worked with the people. And there I had time to sit and run scurrying around trying to fix things for myself. I had time to work with great people and, and give And this is about leadership and great management, isn't it? Creating the environment for your people First of all, make sure they're the right people to do their best work. And that's, I hope, what I did a bit of there. And we helped that radio station, brilliant programme director, and we got that to a million listeners. So it was the biggest radio station that wasn't in London was was, was ours. And, and I, I look at something else that jumps off the page at me. I'm a fan of LBC. And I noticed you were managing director of LBC for a period. How was that? Yeah, that was, that was another um, very clear gig. It had been recently bought uh, by the company I work for, Chrysalis, and I was put in there to, to manage it. And it was costing a lot of money, and the original direction, very defensible direction, wasn't wasn't quite the the one that was working. So my job there was to stop it losing money and and sort of put it on track to create a um, a, a sustainable brand for commercial talk radio because it was really difficult. BBC owned talk radio. Everybody there's only LBC really a few a few other smaller players, but there's only LBC trying to do talk radio against the BBC. And talk radio is expensive and difficult. And how do you do it if you're not going to do it the BBC way? And in those days, um, we had Nick Ferrari on on The Breakfast Show, James O'Brien on The Mid-Morning Show. Neither of those appointments were mine, but they were excellent appointments, and they stay to this day. And and here's one thing. Um, I could look back at that and say, well, I didn't have anything to do with those two appointments. But I did fight off very senior opposition in the company. Uh, to that radio station schedule because the radio station wasn't really firing ahead. Very easy people around to say, actually, you got this right, and to change everything, including the things that are right. So if I did nothing else at LBC, I managed to make sure that Nick Ferrari, against the opposition internally, not not from all the managers, but for, for some quarters, that Nick Ferrari and James O'Brien stayed on, the, on those shows, which they are to this day. And getting somebody good on a show stays there for decades, that's victory in commercial radio because listeners like right. that consistency. So I think, uh, you know, putting that track... And we, we created... Um, 
London's biggest conversation. Now they're leading Britain's conversation. So there's an echo there of the brand. They've taken it in a, in a more newsy way. They, they, they did change the, when it was bought from us. Uh, they changed the direction um, brilliantly, I have to say. That's a stunning radio station. It's far better now than when I ran it. Okay. But you implied there that there were some things that you might look upon, uh, back upon and say, oh, blimey, I wish I'd done that better. What, uh, what does that include? <laughs> oh, goodness. Everywhere. You know, when you start in, in your first leader's job, you first, and we all cringe, don't we? Because you, you run around, um, you're managing people often more experienced and older than you are. You try to assert your authority that's given to you by your title and send out notes and tell people what to do. And you, you look back, and that's what I was doing. I'm embarrassed when I meet anyone from Leicester Sound. I say, sorry, whatever. I they usually say, oh, no, it's fine. Say, no, it wasn't. I wasn't very good at all. You know, so, and you learn so much. And I don't know whether there are things that somebody could have taught me. I wasn't given you know, a huge amount of support because it was a front, and no criticism of people within the broader group there, but it was a frantic time for the parent company Company and helping me in Leicester do my first management gig in a you know in a fairly small compact operation you know wasn't top of the agenda and I I I, I found that too much I walked out of that job I, I I thought I cannot cope with management I cannot cope with running this I cannot cope with radio and I resigned with nothing to go to I thought I'd failed well well that's a big decision is that is that something you'd recommend. No, no, no. I, 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 I took it when driving through Coventry. I was on the way to a meeting in Coventry and got lost on the ring road. I was driving round and round. You know the straw that breaks the camel's back? I, and I'm in tears. I thought, I can't cope. I can't find this. I can't, I can't cope with anything. And I, I, it had all welled. And I got, I got to the meeting and I resigned at that meeting. And I, I, I went to that meeting with a wonderful company car. I came out with a battered old Ford Fiesta. Yeah, that was the end. Um, no, but you sort of have to recognise and handle the the, the pre- I mean, it's t- mental health's talked about a lot now, yeah. isn't it? It wasn't then. You know, I was sitting, leadership management, it's a lonely job. Yeah. A lot of people criticising what you're doing. Not many people walk in the, do- the, the, the door and say, what a great job you've done today. You know, you have to carve out your own direction. You hope it's right. You have to be confident externally. You have to be utterly scrupulous in um, examining the wisdom of your own decisions quietly and with the, the, the quiet counsel of others. But it's a lonely thing, and, yeah, you can give in. Well, I want to ask you two questions now. I want to ask you a subsidiary question to that one. Um, I didn't know I was going to go here in this conversation, <laughs> Mike. Mike's that's the other we're talking about. Well, well, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> right. So well, how do you get back on the horse after that, then? You, you have to believe in yourself. And uh, I wrote to someone who just won a radio licence in Lincolnshire, and I said, can I, can I do any shows? You know, because I started out as a, as a presenter and graduated up, up the management ladder because I always thought I could run it better than other people. Of course, you find it's more difficult than you think. And uh, then I thought, well, I can go back to what I, what I did on the, on the shop floor. You know, I'd get a few pence. I had to, had to sell my house uh, and move down. Honestly, lots of goodness, no money. You sold your house to, after that decision? Oh, gosh, yeah, I had to sell yeah. it. I couldn't, couldn't afford the mortgage, sold it. House and, and and went down um, and and just and, and he uh, to his credit Michael Betton uh, who had got the license for Lincolnshire said let's have a let's have a lunch in London and he said I'd like you to be program controller so he gave I was offered another and that was that was great I thought this is program controller I'm the second employee of this company this is a company that I can all the frustrations that were driving me mad before they needn't be here because this is something I can influence directly and if it goes wrong I really am rubbish so you but, but your reputation for hard work and endeavor had gone before you well I, I hope so I never actually asked Michael what on earth 
I, I think I probably said the right things at the at, at the lunch, which I didn't realise was an interview for the programme controller's job. Had I realised it was, I wouldn't have performed. I hate interviews. I hate them with a passion. Can, I can't get through an interview. Right. You, uh, 3,000 questions are now appearing in my head. I don't quite know which way to take it. Um, uh, you should be in counselling, right, Sassy. <laughs> right. Um, right. We, you said what, what things have gone wrong. We've only got through two radio stations. Are there more? Right. What, well, wait a minute. So, what, I, I, I like this stock question. I'm going to ask you one of my stock questions. What do you, what do you wish you'd know now that you didn't know then? Ah, goodness. I think I'd like to have known very early in my career that it would happen, that, that everything I dreamed of and beyond, way beyond, would happen. If you knew that, you'd be able to just relax and probably do your jobs a bit better. But when you Would are, you? Or would you have not been had the drive maybe, that's made you successful? Maybe, maybe so. But look, I mean, there are, there are, there are a lot of, you know, your, your podcast is about leadership principles. There are a lot of things... I learned along the way. You know, you don't realise what great leadership is until you've felt it and witnessed it. And so many people who become leaders and become managers have never been managed well or led well. So how can you expect them? And I've seen it time and time again, people who are, you know, great sales execs who become managers uh, because they're great sales execs. Actually, they're not great managers. They're great sales execs. And in this country, being a great sales exec is not regarded as highly as it should be. You know, in America, you're a great sales exec. You are a star. In Britain, are you just a sales When are you going to be a manager? Oh, well, uh, your mother wants you to be a manager. You know, so I'm, I've gone off on five tangents there. But in, in essence... Um, Role models are so important. It wasn't till I got to Chrysalis. Uh, Chrysalis was the you know music, books, media, TV, radio company. Um, eventually sold off in in bits, but you know it was huge, absolutely huge. And it had a radio division. And I had a uh, chief executive and a commercial director and a group chief exec who were all utterly, utterly inspirational figures in different ways. You know, I had the commercial director who didn't say a lot. The wise owl who would ask the devastating six-word question and keep his eyes open wide and look at you until you answered, uh, nodding away because he wanted you to nod away. And he played all the tricks in the book, but just the wisdom and the calmness of that. I thought, wow, there's there's something in that that I really like. I had my chief executive of my division, uh, Phil Riley, who was just brilliant. I mean, now your partner in Boomerang. Now my partner in Boomerang. His his uh, confidence. in his own vision, in his own ability, uh, to stand up and take a room with him and to take you know, one-to-one to take you with him as well with the sheer confidence of the case, evidence-driven, this is where we're going, this is why we're doing it, uh, and yet actually still able to be quietly challenged because if you don't allow people to speak truth under power, um, you know, and history is littered with leaders who got too big, were there too long, no one could say, are you sure? That's a great graph. But isn't your assumption that drove it questionable? You know, and and Phil, to his credit, would if you put up an evidence-driven repost, would 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 respond to it and quietly go away and think. He might not uh, go back and agree with that day, but he'd go away and think about it. And that that that's great leadership. And having the confidence up front, people believing they don't. You can't stand up and lead a team and say, "I'm not quite sure what we're doing here. We might do this, might do that." You've got to, but you've got to be able to 
penetrate that and examine your uh, everything you think. So that that was that was Phil uh, Richard Hunting, but it was the group chief executive. Wow, I just wish I had a bit of what he had. He had charisma by the bucket load. Um, everybody liked him, and yet you knew he had a very clever eye and was on it. Uh, and when he used to he used to come around all the, the radio stations, all the businesses they ran, he would come around, he'd go out with the staff, he'd do, he'd do a staff presentation of the staff survey. So we all had staff surveys, as you do. And we were never, as managers, as leaders, we were never privy to them. He, the group chief exec, would say, OK, these are the results. And he would present the staff survey back to the staff. We had no idea as managers. We thought, what if all our staff think we're... Idiots! What we do, you know. Thankfully, they they didn't. But he, the staff, really bought into him, and he had a a, a magic, a presence, and you know, a, a great accountant, great, great. You know, he's, he's been involved in some hefty businesses. Uh, so I learned something from all those people, and that's when I really thought that's what leadership looks like. That's what it feels like. I. I, I can identify with what you were talking about. I've worked in so many newsrooms where the best reporter was made the news editor, mm. invariably the wrong decision, but yeah, there you have yeah. it. You touched upon mentors there. I'm presuming these three individuals were your mentors. How important is mentorship in leadership? I've, I've never had anything formally, but I've always, I've always, you know, since that spell, Chrysalis in my career, always had people who um, I could sit and talk to. And that's what I didn't have. In the, in the early gigs, someone I could say, this is a challenge, etc., and just someone else to lean on. So, you know, a, a mentor, someone to be there when you're doing that leadership thing for, for the first time. And should would-be leaders go out and actively look for mentors? I, I Just to get around what you're talking about, yeah, about having I, no experience in leadership. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, go out and look for them. I don't know how possibly you find them. There's probably the answer to, to that question, but, you know, look around you. And it needn't be your business. Sometimes it's better if it's not your business because everything, consulting around the world, every radio station's the same. You've got the same problems. And I'm sure we, you know, in business, look around other people's businesses and fix them for them, even though the, the conclusions are probably wrong because we're not in their business, we don't know enough. But, you know, a lot of the principles, actually, of leadership are, are, are the same, aren't they? You're getting the best out of human beings, really, and making sure your product serves the customers. That's business, isn't it? Sure. Um, you love radio. Your life has been radio. You've written the book, which uh, the people who are aspiring to do well within radio um, sh uh, must read. Um, however, would you have been successful in your leadership career, whatever you did? I, uh, I don't know. I guess all of us in, in a career, especially as you get to you know this stage of life, think, oh, I want to do something different. You know, I've always thought to myself, wouldn't it be nice to run a post office? You know, just stamping checks and things. I, I, I don't know why I always picture that, but would I have done something? I, I don't, who is it who says, if you enjoy your job, you never do a day's work? You know, there's a bit of that. And if you love it, you do the, you know, the 10,000 hours thing or whatever, you put the hours in. You know, by the time I was um, 19 at Hospital Radio, I'd done more apprenticeship for radio than some people who end up on national radio do now, you know. Let me just pause there for that. That is really interesting, isn't it? At the age of 19, you're more experienced than many 24, 25-year-olds. Okay, so um, uh, students now, they have long uh, um, academic careers into their mid-20s. Are you suggesting there's, there's no substitute for serious hands-on, sleeves rolled up, graft at the coalface? I think 
hands-on experience is utterly invaluable. And of course, you can do that alongside an academic career. And I think as students now have to set themselves aside from others, particularly if they're going into a competitive field, and radio, media is a competitive field, you know, the fact that you've you know, done decently in your studies, and here's a bit of work I did, here's somebody I work with, you know, forming networks, all those sorts of things, that sets you aside. That means your first interview isn't down to luck, he said, saying how awful he was at interviews, but it just means you've got something to, to talk about. You know, when, I, when I, my first ever job professionally was working in a bank, you know, I need my first job leaving school, and I, uh, I, I, I turned up at the interview, and because I had an interesting hobby, hospital radio, I got offered about five jobs in banks, didn't want any of them, I had to take one. <laughs> Lloyd's Bank, I took. Because it was my name, literally. That was, that was the deciding factor. Don't, uh, that's not business advice. <laughs> always, always work for someone who has the same name. Yeah. Right, okay, I've got that. <laughs> uh, right, that's a candid admission. But there you have it. Um, yeah, we just wish you'd been called Coots or something. Like that. <laughs> Life might have turned out differently. Okay, that's that's really interesting. Um, I'm going to take off in another direction, ever so gently. Um, you're currently... Um, uh, an entrepreneur, businessman, hands-on, day-to-day manager, but between 10 o'clock and midday, every weekday, you have your own show. Now you will say, because, hey, look, at those were my bedrock skills, but I look at it from a different point of view. I say, wow, what a fantastic opportunity to be creative every day. The problem with running a company might or might not be, but I, I think is often the fact that you've got your head in spreadsheets and you're having to deal with the difficulties of staff management and all that kind of thing do you think leaders really need some kind of creative output not necessarily creative but i think you have to make sure you do the bits you enjoy as as well as everything else and that may be a creative side people get kicks from 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 doing all sorts of bits of it but you're right you know a lot of day-to-day management is really tedious and when you've got you know people with long faces knocking on your door and you think oh here we go again and they can drag you down you know you think oh dear what why why all the fun bits that drove me it's particularly radio the fun bits that drove me into this industry i'm not doing anymore somebody i'm paying somebody else i'm doing all the horrible bits uh and you know there can be a bit of that so i think making sure that you do some of the bits that you enjoy Enjoy, but not if somebody else can do them better. You know, I think I'm a moderately uh, decent broadcaster. There are a lot of people in radio management who you know, happen to start out being on air, but they would look back and say, you know, I was, I was all right, but actually I'm far better at, at, at doing something else. So making sure there's enough in your day that still fires you up and makes you feel positive because you need to, particularly on the challenging days. Good stuff. So, as you know, this is a, uh, this is a podcast for the Nottingham Business School. Um, a lot of uh, leaders and aspiring leaders within their walls. What advice, or say one big piece of advice, might you might you give them? Something which you've which you've uh, realised through your at the end of your forty year career. This is it. This is what I'd want to know if I was starting out again. I I think one of the and somebody made this point to me, which is why I remember it. One of the critical things is. Create time for yourself to think. Your diary can so easily fill up. You know, somebody gets in, can we have half an hour? Yeah, put it in the diary, put it in the diary, put it in the diary, put it in the diary. The things that really make a difference to a business are the bright ideas, the change of direction, the different perspective. They let's turn this on its head. Actually, we're looking at this the wrong way. You need time to sit and think about that. And most people, uh, I remember reading an article about it, do their thinking whilst 
um, running, exercise, uh, or sitting on the loo. And you think, well, hang on a minute. If this is so important, you can't leave it to chance. You can't, well, runners are good at this, so the people who don't run haven't got time for this. Um, or, or, or sitting on the loo. I mean, you can't leave your future business to that. So creating times. Okay, Thursday afternoon, I'm not going to put anybody in because this, I'm putting this in for me. This is my time. And it's easily as important, more so, than a lot of the other things that clutter up your diary, demand of meetings, etc. So creating time for yourself to think and tease out different approaches and making sure you're, you're, you're doing the right thing. David Lloyd, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Nottingham Business School's Business Leaders Podcast. Thank it's you. been a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Mike. If you like this episode, then why not check out some of the others that are also available, including those with fellow radio programmer Dick Stone, the MD of Rally, Lee Kidger, and sports marketing guru, Charlotte Cox. The Nottingham Business School Business Leaders Podcast is produced for Nottingham Trent University by Celtic Tiger Productions. Your presenter was Mike Sassy, and your producer was John Collins. <laughs>